Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Swings and Mishes. We are happy to have you back, and we are happy to have you here for a very special and exclusive interview with Marlins general manager, Kim Ang. But Marlins fans, be sure to stick around after the interview as Craig has some news and we'll hear his thoughts on this interview with Marlins general manager, Kim Ang. And here on this brand new episode of Swings and Mishes on the podcast, we are very fortunate to have the brand new general manager of the Miami Marlins, Kim Eng. She joins us now after essentially a week on the job here. So it's time to catch up a little bit. And, uh, and Kim, thanks once again for coming on our podcast here on Swings and Mishes, our first time interacting here. And thanks for making the time for us. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Craig. Really great. Um, last week was a whirlwind. Um, it all happened so quickly. Uh, and and intensely, but uh, happy to be here. Had a great week with the staff. Well, you know, Kim. In, in all fairness, I'm very disappointed. One weekend, and there's Mike Trout is not on the Marlins. I thought that that was the first order of business. You were going to come in. It was going to be Trout, Lindor, all of these wild things happening in the first week. But maybe that'll happen in the second week. I think that that that's the perception from fans out there. We all want things to happen and happen now. You know, I, I grew up in New York, so I definitely understand that feeling. Um, but, you know, we asked for Trout. They, the asking price was too high, so we just had to walk away. Yeah, they, they asked for Derek in return, probably. That was that, that had to be a Hall of Famer in return for a Hall of Famer. That had to be part of it. Uh, okay, so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go back a little bit before we get into some of the things over the past week and just kind of go back to your hiring, because I, I think that that is probably – you know, something that really hasn't been intimately discussed and, and sort of how it happened. And I don't know how many details you can share with us on that, but I, I would love to know how contact was made uh, initially, what those conversations started off like, and we, we sort of know how they ended and I'll follow up with that. But, but how did this kind of all come to fruition? Because the last time that the Marlins had a president or general manager was Michael Hill, of course. And so all of a sudden that happened. And then how do you come into the picture here? Right. So uh, Dan Halem, our deputy commissioner at Major League Baseball, gave me a call and basically said, you know, Derek Jeter just called. Um, they're interested in talking to you. Um, do you have interest? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to give them your contact info. So that's essentially how that happened, how, you know, reach was made, contact was made. And then um, I had numerous discussions with Derek um, over the course of, you know, several weeks. Uh, I met with you know, a couple of others uh, within the organization. I met with Bruce Sherman. Uh, well, when I say met, I mean over Zoom. Sure. Um, but um yeah, and we had we had great conversations. Um, you know, when I spoke with Derek over the course of several of them, you know, we talked about my history, my my background, um, what things I've seen during my career, uh, and he walked me through some of his experiences um, here in Miami, and and you know what his vision and and ownership's vision of was for the Marlins, um, and so that was that was really how it came to came to be. Um, I can tell you that after my conversations with Derek, each conversation, I grew more and more comfortable with, with him and, and what the Marlins were trying to do. So, um, you know, I'm just happy to be here. Did you, did you feel that the conversations with the Marlins from the very beginning 
potentially were more serious than other interviews that you had had in the past where you didn't get the job or were they more or less the same from the beginning? And then at some point it, it, it came in your head, like, wow, like I really have a chance to, to, to get, to actually get this job. Right. I mean, I would say this, you know, I think in other interviews, I mean, they were all very professional. Um, you know, it wasn't like I walked out of there and said, Oh, this wasn't real. But I think, you know, as you, you know, as you progress through the process, <clears throat> you, you start to gain an understanding and, and, you know, there might have been one or two were from the beginning, even before I talked to anybody there, you might have thought, okay, maybe this, maybe this is just checking the box. Right. Um, but I really feel like, um, you know, when I spoke to Derek in our first conversation, um, you know, he and he and I have known each other for a long time. Um, we, we, you know, we know a lot of the same people. Um, and so I think there was some familiarity uh, and that, I think that allowed us to just sort of cut through some of it, you know, and to just say, you know, Derek basically said, you know, this is not, not that type of situation. And, you know, I thanked him for it and I appreciated it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I knew that from the beginning, um, you know, just in knowing Derek a little bit and having watched him play and the, you know, the intensity at which he goes and how he goes after things, um, you know, he's not one to waste a whole lot of time. So I definitely didn't feel like it was, was that type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's nobody I, I think that I've ever watched in baseball. That's, I mean, there probably are, but I, I feel like there's no one that's ever wanted to win more yeah. than, than Derek and, and his competitive nature. And he's been on this podcast, by the way, Kim, um, he came on last year. See with Derek, he'll only come on after Michigan football wins. <laughs> doesn't happen that frequently so you know it's kind of one of those things where we don't we don't get them on here all that often so well anyway um on to that that subject specifically I suppose Kim that if I was offered my my dream job which you know at times in my career you know I'm offered different jobs and it, it, it's sort of like how do you say no? And I can't, I kind of, it draws me back to you because I would have to think that the negotiation process for you in this particular situation had to be a little bit strange because when you're offered a job like this, and I know that you've been waiting for this position for a long time, and you're obviously very qualified for this position, how do you negotiate a contract for a job that you don't want to, I would assume that you don't want to turn down almost no matter what. I don't know if that's even a fair question, but I'm kind of wondering, it's like the Marlins say, here's what we want you to do. And here's what we're going to pay you to do. Like, how do you say, well, I don't know. Let me think of when, when, when you know that you, this is the job that you've been waiting for for so long. I don't know if you could speak on that. Sure. Um, so listen, it, I don't, I've never really been about, money and how much I was going to make and, you know, where I was going. It was really about, it's always been about opportunity. Uh, and so, you know, for me, this wasn't, it, it was a negotiation, but it really wasn't because again, it was about the opportunity. It got done fairly quickly. I think there were a few things that, you know, I, I really needed to, to have adjusted and the Marlins were, were very amenable and, um, you know, very willing to do that. So it didn't take very long. Um, it happened quickly. 
And luckily, you know, everybody was just on the same page. I think, you know, they saw this as, um, you know, something that was historic, uh, as did I. And, you know, for me personally, I, I, I was um, incredibly grateful. I was incredibly happy for, for me, but I was happy for others as well, because I do think this represents a lot. Uh, and so as, as a follow-up to that, and I know Jeremy has a question next, as a follow-up to that, because one of the questions that behind the scenes that I get asked a lot is, does Kim feel uh, happy with her compensation as, as the general manager of the Marlins, as it would compare potentially to all other general managers in Major League Baseball? And so I suppose the answer to that obviously is yes, or you wouldn't have taken the job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it, of course, of course. I can tell you... Um, my first assistant GM job in New York with the Yankees, um, Brian was calling to, to, to offer me the job. And, you know, well, actually it was the second call. He was okay. calling to see if I was taking the job. And uh, my little sister, she was probably about, I want to say eight years old. She happened to see the phone ring. She picked it up and she answered and he's, you know, Brian said, this is Brian. Can I speak to Kim? And she said, sure. And she goes, she walks to me in the living room and says, Kim, it's your new boss. And I said, oh, there goes all my negotiating problems. You lost the leverage. That's awesome. So fortunately, that was not this situation. Again, it was about opportunity and just happy to be here. That's terrific. Kim, uh, Jeremy here. And following up actually a bit on what you just mentioned with Brian Cashman, I, something that's been stuck in my head since everyone has been talking about you bursting through the glass ceiling here with this job in particular is you did the same thing 22 years ago with the New York Yankees in terms of breaking through a glass ceiling and gosh, to, to wait 22 years between those feelings. I just have to wonder what was the difference, you know, being, I think in, in your late twenties, becoming an assistant general manager bursting through the scene and now you know having to wait 20 years and what are the differences between the feelings of sort of doing that the first time with the Yankees as an assistant GM and now with the Marlins as their actual general manager so actually the Yankees situation I was the second uh, mm. woman assistant GM mm -hmm. so so not quite the same but still you know got, got quite a bit of press um, I think this one truly was an explosion through the glass ceiling and mm -hmm. you know and and sometimes I actually have trouble um stepping back because I I know it's just happening to me but you know as the day wore on on Friday having an understanding of just how many people it was affecting was incredible you know and and, and watching the outpouring of support and um you know, exuberance and, and, you know, and just the depth of, of people and breadth of people that, that it really touched um, was incredible for me personally to watch. It was, again, it wasn't even like it was happening to me. I was just watching. It. Like an out-of-body experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Kim. So the, the most interesting comment I thought you, ma you made was all the weight from one shoulder to the other. So let's work on the other <laughs> shoulder now here. Yeah. Uh, you, you've been on the job for seven days. You've You've been at very high levels of organizations when two of the model franchises in all of Major League Baseball and the Dodgers and the Yankees. I, I think that you understand the challenges that are, are in front of you with the Marlins. And so as becoming general manager with them, uh, simply put, there's just virtually no way that the Marlins are going to be run by like those two franchises. So 
in sitting back over the last week, what, what kind of discussions have you had in, in terms of how things can be successful in Miami? Most people feel like the path is clear at this point and the right track is on, but how does that train keep going? And, and how do the Marlins succeed fighting with these teams with these huge payrolls that you know that the Marlins are not going to have? Right. So you obviously come from, you know, a couple places, the Yankees and the Dodgers were, you know, that is the situation currently where their payrolls are, you know, bursting through, um, you know, and, and they're definitely at the top. But, you know, one thing to remember um, when I was with the Dodgers, it wasn't quite that scene, right? So when I got to LA, um, we had a bloated payroll. We had a very unflexible payroll, um, meaning there were a lot of long-term contracts that, that really were not movable. Um, and our farm system was, was, you know, in the basement. Uh, and it, it, you know, that's one of the, you know, that's one of the things that I think I do bring to the table is having seen a process like that from when we first went into LA to then, you know, whatever, nine years later and the success that they had. Right. And it was really revolved around building the farm system, scouting and player development. And I think as we look at some of the playoff teams, you know, recently, you know, the last five years, um, you know, there are quite a few lower payrolled teams that are really built around their farm systems, you know, and have had homegrown players and funnel through up to the big leagues. So I think, you know, that's, that's obviously what we've got to do here. Um, I think we saw, you know, Tampa Bay um, in the World Series with, with a, you know, lower payroll and, and um, you know, quite, quite, the opposite of, you know, the, the way the Yankees and the Dodgers have done it um, in terms of those bigger contracts. So I think, you know, there's, there's definitely different ways to go about this. Obviously, you know, we're, we're choosing to go through scouting and player development and really making that, you know, those are core principles. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Derek and I talked about extensively in our conversations was, you know, the plan and the vision and how do you create you know, a team and an organization that can have sustained success, you know, can have success at a championship caliber level year after year. And that has to be done through scouting and player development and funneling those guys up to the big leagues. But based on the season the Marlins had last year, you watching uh, from Major League Baseball, seeing the success that the team had, I think it's natural for fans of the Marlins and even observers of major league baseball to think that the Marlins have a chance in 2021 to build on that and be better. But Kim, that's going to have to happen with more payroll being spent with more players being acquired, at least from virtually every perspective. Do you see the Marlins payroll increasing in 2021? You know, look, here's what I would say on payroll. I mean, I'd really rather not focus on that because I think what it does is it creates an expectation that at this point really shouldn't exist. And in fact, it actually becomes, you know, it can a lot of times become a hindrance in negotiating with agents and other clubs. And, you know, they get misled by, you know, by what I have left instead of the actual value of the deal. Um, and, and so that's why I would try and, and guide us away from that. You know, but again, it's really about, um, you know, player development. And player development, when I say that, I mean player development in 
the minor leagues and trying to help those players advance to the next level. But I also mean it on the major league level. You know, the guys that you saw out there this year, those young players, they're not the finished product. You know, they still have more work to do to become the impact players that I think we, um, that they can be. So, you know, that's, that, that's one thing that is of, um, you know, that is a big issue for us is, you know, this off season is trying to come up with, you know, plans, trying to come up with plans for those players to make sure that they continue their development through this off season and are doing the best possible job that they can to prepare for 2021. Uh, as you, as you've been on the job the past week, would you mind telling me one thing potentially that you learned about the organization that you feel is important to mention that maybe when you did your first press conference this past Monday that you weren't aware of, it can be anything, a player, an individual, someone in the organization, just something that maybe you said, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. Wow. Something new. Yeah, no, actually. So, um, you know, when I did the press conference, I thought, you know, we had a pretty good staff, uh, you know, just in terms of reputation, et cetera. Um, I will tell you that my meetings from this week, uh, were outstanding uh, and they were really representative I think of the infrastructure that is in place. Uh, I, I saw a very integrated coordinated uh, presentation of the operations and you know and, and obviously Derek and I talked about it from you know with 30,000 you know foot view uh, but to actually be they're in the trenches with these guys uh, was impressive. So that was one, one takeaway that, that I am really happy about. Okay. Jeremy, one more for you. And then I have a, uh, a final one. Oh man. So for me, I actually just want to ask you some fun because these are a lot of Marlins fans that listen to our podcast and trying to get to know you more on, on a little bit of a personal level. I saw that you're a big Lumineers fan. Uh, I saw that that was through MLB Network. Um, and I was just wondering if you could share a bit with us either about the type of music that you like, the type of TV that you like. Uh, what what can Marlins fans get to know about you, Kim Ang, the person, not just the first female general manager? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am a big reggae fan. Interesting. Big reggae fan. Uh, my husband and I actually just went to Jamaica last year for the first time. And, um, you know, got, got a little dose of, of their music there, live music. And it was awesome. Uh, That's terrific. So big, big reggae fan. Actually, one of our dogs is named Marley. Uh, Perfect. After Bob Marley, of course. Uh, so, yeah. That, that's, I love it. Um, also play a lot of tennis. Um, I'm, I'm a big hiker. I actually um, did a, see, a three- three-day backpacking trip uh, on the Appalachian Trail in Maine. Uh, this Holy past cow. December. Yeah, so some friends and I were out there camping, backpacking, hiking. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. Um, it, was a lot, it was a lot of elevation, I'll tell you that much. So I had to train uh, a lot of the summer for it. Yeah, and you're going to be trading that for, for very little elevation here in Florida, very, but uh, I'm yeah, sure you'll get used to it. Very little elevation and probably very little exercise. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to be too worried about this team. <laughs> well, we, we hope that is the case, Kim. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so let, me, let, me, uh, let me close out with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of circle back, Kim, again, the payroll here. I know you don't want to um, focus on that too much. I'm the tough question guy here, and uh, <laughs> that, that's the way it's got to be. Um, 
so Marlins fans are going to listen to this, Kim, and they're going to wonder how the team is going to be better in 2021. Like there's just, there's just no getting around that. The expectations have now been raised from where they were two years ago. And I, and I think Derek and the organization, Bruce Sherman, have discussed that the organization has had a very complicated past with, with players that have been here. Championships have been won. Teams have been dismantled. And now it's fairly obvious the direction that the team is going. But as expectations, Kim, raise, I think that they would all want to know why you believe the team will be better than it was in 2021 because in most seasons, a couple of games over 500 in general is not enough to make the postseason, And we know that we're probably headed toward more of a regular campaign next year, maybe hopefully 162, but if not significantly more than 60 games. So what would you tell Marlins fans from your perspective? I know it's only been a week, but what would you tell them? Why will the club be better next year? Right. Look, I think, you know, in terms of what the fans, you know, want to hear, um, you know, the staff and I are, always going to be looking for, you know, potential deals that make sense. Um, You know, obviously we have some areas of strength that we can deal from, uh, you know, to address upgrades. Um, You know, there might not be an obvious need that we have, um, considering that we're bringing back uh, very much the same young starting rotation that we've got. you know, all the main position players are back, um, you know, but again, it's not going to prevent us from trying to deal from strength um, to address upgrades. So I think we'll just have to see how the trade market evolves uh, on that front. But, you know, we're always going to be looking to upgrade. I mean, you can, you can trust us on that. Um, but again, it's really, you know, it's, it has to make sense. It has to make sense. Uh, and, you know, when, you know, again, when Derek and I talked, it was about, you know, long-term plan and we've got to have discipline and make sure we stick to that plan so that we can win year after year after year at a very high level and be playing deep into October. And it does take a little patience and it does take discipline. So that's what we've got to do. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on becoming the general manager and Uh, Very excited to see what you have in store for the club here. I know the winter meetings are right around the corner. I know it'll be virtual this year. Normally, it's a very exciting time for all of us in Major League Baseball, and I'm sure that running the show in Miami for the first time for you is going to be an exciting time as well in December. Thank you again for coming on Swings and Mishes. We look forward to having you on again. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, Kim. Take care. All right, Craig. Well, well, that was great. And before we get uh, to some Marlins news, I'd love to hear your thoughts as to how that interview went with Kim Ang. Well, I, I don't. This is the first time that I've interviewed Kim in person, and she's been around the game for I, I believe almost thirty years. And I feel like that's as, <laughs> as long as I've been covering baseball for thirty years too. So it was really interesting, I think, to get some thoughts on her first week on the job. Uh, look, it's it's still very fresh and very new, and 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 once the the winter meetings start up, you're, you're talking about you know, a little bit less than a month from now. I, I'm sure that there is a I, I would say a growing process, learning the organization, learning the people in the organization. So, but but I am happy that we did get basically a week of her on the job to, to kind of talk about that. Some of those things, a couple of the questions that I want to go back on, one on the baseball side. 
and one on the uh, hiring side uh, for her that I do want to speak about to give you some context on that. Uh, first of all, I'll start off with the baseball side. When I asked Kim about payroll and when I asked about where the Marlins uh, could potentially be headed next year, and, and I kind of asked once and then I doubled down hmm. because I felt like I wanted to get a, a better better question for me and a better answer potentially too, is that I found it interesting, especially in the second time when I pressed a little bit further for her to mention mm -hmm. trades, because I do feel like that is more along the lines of where Miami could be headed in, in the offseason, at least from a lot of the, the talking that I have done. It's not to say that they can't sign someone. They proved last year that they are willing to spend a little bit of money. But in order to get good baseball players, you have to spend money. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's a secret. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that you have to sign somebody for 200 or 300 million to do that. The Rays have proven that. And, and now even, even the Chicago White Sox went out and added some pieces to that puzzle on one year deals. And they do have some massively paid players, but in general, a lot of their players are young, but, but I think that has to be done in some way. Starling Marte costs money to keep Brian right. Anderson. That will cost money to have someone throw 99 miles an hour in the back of the bullpen and get outs, it's going to cost more money. So I, I think that that you you can find creative ways to do it, and maybe the way is via trade. The Marlins have been very aggressive in the trade market, as we've seen, maybe more aggressive than any other team over the last couple of years. We always say Seattle and Jerry Depoto is the one making all the trades. Well, they're making a lot, but the Marlins may have been the most aggressive, chasing down yeah. Jazz Chisholm and chasing down Jesus Sanchez and and Ryan Stanek in that deal and, and then get Starling Marte at the trade deadline this year. So, so maybe that's the direction that they go and, and we'll have to keep an eye on that. Cause I think that there are a lot of moving parts with the team, a second baseman, maybe another outfielder as they pursue that. So that was the one thing that I found interesting as far as the baseball side. And, and as we get closer to the winter meetings, I'll of course have more on that. And, and then on, on the individual side for Kim, as far as her being a general manager, uh, as far as some of the things that I've discussed with people inside and outside of the organization, as far as her compensation. And the reason why I asked that question in particular, because I think it's important that, that and, and I think it's a question that's been asked a lot to me from some very important people around baseball. Hey, do you know what she's being paid? And is it on par with her male counterparts? Because simply right. put, while, while we all know that she wanted the job and I, and, you know, and as, as a, why it's like, I, if somebody right. asked me, I don't know what my <laughs> dream job would even be. Oh, okay. I'll give you an example. If Derek Jeter called me and said, Hey, Craig, Brian Anderson can't play today. We're going to need you <laughs> at third. My answer to Derek Jeter wouldn't be, well, how much are you paying me? It'd be right. like, what time do you need me there? And, how and much I can I pay you? But, but again, I'm not qualified and she is. So it's right. not, it's, it's like maybe it is a little bit of apples and oranges, but you get where I'm going at here is like, sure. I mean, Kim, it, it wants the job. Like she, I mean, everyone knows she wants the job. She wants to be mm -hmm. a general manager, but we also have to be cognizant of the fact that she needs to be paid fairly as opposed to all of the general managers in, in major league baseball. So, Absolutely. I, here's, here, so, so to give you some context, here's what I could tell you. Kimming is not the highest paid and Kimming is not the lowest paid. Okay. Right. She, she's also, as far as what I understand, not in the middle either. It, it, it's, but she's not at the bottom. So I don't know how far into detail I can, I can go with that, but basically put, I wanted to know from her if she felt like 
not being one of the highest paid general managers is fair. And for her being a first time general manager, being near the bottom mm -hmm. in terms of being paid uh, is probably fair because it's a, you're, you're a first time general manager. You have to understand that the compensation is not going to be what somebody who has been a general manager for 10 years is. Also to make the comparison, and I know that some people have asked me this off the record behind the scenes too, as far as comparing her to Michael Hill, Let's also remember that as Jeffrey Loria left the club, he extended Michael Hill out and gave Michael Hill what a lot of people have also felt was an, uh, a very high salary uh, for somebody in that position that Mike was in. Now, a little bit different from when Mike was running the Marlins under the Jeffrey Loria regime as opposed to under the Bruce Sherman, Derek Jeter regime, because this current regime, more of a collaborative effort, do you right. need to be compensating that person for a collaborative effort as opposed to the final decision maker with the organization? It takes nothing away from what Mike did. So it takes nothing away from what Mike should be earning as president of baseball operations. But simply put, you're not going to pay somebody as a first-time general manager what you paid somebody who's been with the organization for 20 years, regardless Absolutely. of if Jeffrey Luria gave him a care package on the way out and said, congratulations, here is an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money to get paid by the Miami Marlins, which some people feel um, it was. I, I, sure. don't, I don't. I think Mike did a great job here, but uh, right. some people feel that. So to give you context, that's the, the along the lines of, of, those, of those questions, because I, I wanted to hear Kim say, yes, I feel very comfortable with what I am, am making, and I feel like it is on par. I mean, Kim worked for Major League Baseball. Kim worked right. for, for the Dodgers and the Yankees. She knows what general managers gets paid, and, and I wanted to hear her say that. So anybody who has asked me that question previously, and I had a few people ask me to ask that question here mm -hmm. on, on the podcast, I think that we accomplished that. So that gives you context for that. And as we close out, uh, a bit of news here, and of course, we'll be back over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the, the bit of news that I could give here at the end is that there's been another promotion by the Miami Marlins. Just saw we mm -hmm. saw Dan Greenlee get promoted to assistant general manager. Uh, Adrian Lorenzo, who has now been very heavily involved in the baseball process and, and has been responsible for a lot of the international free agents and understanding that market. Uh, also, Harold Ramirez, I know that he was a part of identifying him. He's promoted to director of baseball operations. So congratulations to him and a name that is rising very quickly in the Marlins organization as well. And so I know that from experience and, and seeing Adrian around, he's on the phone a lot with other clubs, <laughs> going through different things too. So uh, not surprised ba based on conversations that I've had within the organization, surprised uh, perhaps for everyone to hear that, but it is a now prominent position in the Marlins organization. And you know that the names who are involved in this now, whether it is Bruce Sherman, Derek Jeter, Gary Denbo, and you also have, of course, the two assistant general managers, Dan Greenlee, Brian Chatton, Adrian Lorenzo, DJ Svillick, man, and Hottie Rod. I think I, I think I think I, we I, nailed it. it it's <laughs> like I, I feel like like I have a, a picture of a wall with the names at the top, yeah. you know, like, and I'm trying it's, to go through the tree here. Mm -hmm. And so I'll probably miss someone. And if I did, I'm sorry to whoever is whoever is, is listening out there. But but that's that's basically it. So put adrian lorenzo's name even higher mm -hmm. uh, in the organization they had it before as he's gotten a raise that will cover it jeremy for this week 
Yeah, and, and we've heard so much about the Marlins team-based decision-making practices. Well, we just talked about Adrian Lorenzo, and we just spoke to Kim Ang, who will be at the head of all of it as the Marlins general manager. So Swings and Mishes fans, we will be back soon, we promise. Uh, as soon as there is information worth talking about here on Swings and Mishes, we will get you guys going, especially as we get toward the winter meeting. So thank you for listening to our interview with Kim Ang. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate, review, do all the things you're supposed to do with podcasts, and we will talk to you guys very, very soon. <laughs>